0: Okay, let's get serious, shall we? (laughs) Let's go to the Bible. You never know what's going to happen when when things are are different. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1 and continue the series that we started a few weeks ago entitled Jesus is Lord. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. This is the beginning of God's story. In the middle of darkness. Over the deep waters, the void, the chaos. The disorder. God was present. The Spirit of God was hovering over those chaotic waters. Where were the chaotic waters? Beneath the darkness. Where was the Spirit of God? In the darkness. And God spoke the word, and there was light. But our parents chose darkness. And this is where the story of humanity begins. That's not entirely true. The story of humanity begins with a God who created us and loved us and designed us to be in fellowship with him and one another. But then we chose darkness. So God entered the world once again to deliver us from darkness, from evil, if you will. Because of his great love, the Father sent the Son and through the working of the Spirit by his sacrificial death, On a Roman cross, our God overcame the darkness once and for all. And so the gospel writer John begins to retell the story of God. And he says it like this in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, sounds familiar? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness thank you the way that you did in fact enter in to the world that you created to rescue us thank you for the way that you continue to pursue us and woo us to yourself in Jesus name amen I got a uh, booklet in the mail this week, I don't know if anyone else got it or if it was just St. John's. Um, it was obviously a mass mailing, a little booklet uh, entitled "The Way." What was it called? "The Way to Happiness." Yeah, "The Way to Happiness." And I'm like, sweet. Um, and I opened it up, and I was very curious because typically it's like, okay, which, which sort of, you know, church or religion or what? Who who sent this to me? Where did this come from? And um, Some minimal research, um, and it was the Church of Scientology, and uh, 21 precepts. Short little booklet, Um, really good precepts. Follow these steps, apply these sort of precepts to your life, and you can experience happiness. And they were excellent. Like, uh, don't lie, Uh, honor your parents, Um, submit to good government. Uh, brush your teeth was one of them. It was, it was sort of a mixture of like Scientology and like Jordan B. Peterson, like really good common sense, practical rules to live by. They were fantastic. Um, except till you got to the very end of the book, after precept number 21. There was 21. It said this The way to happiness is a high speed road to those who know where the edges are. You're the driver. Farewell. And I thought, how incredibly antithetical to the gospel. The precepts were wonderful. They were mostly just like taken right out of the Bible, from what I could tell. But the ending note, the farewell uh, note was, yeah, life is a crazy ride. You're the driver. Farewell. When Jesus says that, yeah, life is crazy. You will have trouble in this world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You're a terrible driver, but I know what I'm doing. Take heart, I'm never going to leave you. The problem with mere precepts is that there are a lot of bad drivers out there. Anyone ever get a speeding ticket? I was telling Brother Caleb just the other day how at one point I actually had my license taken away from me. This was back like in my twenties. I'm lucky to be alive, honestly. I was I was pretty pretty reckless. I'd to go to court and like beg the judge to have mercy. He he gave me permission to drive to work. I was a teacher. I was a middle school teacher. Parents beware. <laughs> it's not enough just to have all of the right answers or what we think might be all the right answers it's not enough just to have all of the proper steps to life there's something else going on in our world there's a kind of a darkness there's something that started a long long time ago that seems to affect every person every family every generation the bible describes it as a shadow, darkness, sin, rebellion, there's a lot of different uh, metaphors for it, but there's a darkness that permeates the world. I had a coffee with a man that I've been getting to know over the last few weeks, we've mentioned a few times that uh, we've starting a community pantry, food pantry, um, as a, a church, because we, we're based here in a community, I know we don't all live here, but we're, we're based as a local church in a community where there's a pretty thriving uh, homeless population, people who don't have houses to live in or just really struggling, need help, and naturally they come to the church. They check the door, they see it's open, they wander in all the time. Um, someone's usually here, it's usually me or Nathan or Lily or someone, and uh we thought, look, we, we've got to start blessing these people. We can't just like lock our doors and hide out because we can't be bothered. Um, so he said, let's, let's start a, a community pantry. Anyways, Idril is one of the guys that I've been getting to know. He comes maybe two or three times a week. He must live someplace around here. And uh, I usually just sit down and say, uh, actually, I think I did give him some money at one point. I normally don't do that, though. Um, but we'll sit down. I say, tell me your story. Here's some coffee. I'll give them a, a bag full of food. Let them pick out some stuff, whatever they need. And I said, let's sit down. Tell me your story. This guy, Idril, is from Somalia. He grew up in Somalia and got uh, basically recruited. I don't know if that's quite the right word. Kidnapped, forced into fighting in the Somalian Civil War, I guess back in the 80s. I don't quite know my history but he was one of these child soldiers he said when he was around 10 years old one of the warlords forced him to come and fight in this civil war that was taking place in Somalia like I've seen the documentary I've never met the guy so I'm sitting down listening to Idril tell his story about seeing his entire family murdered killed in this war and how he was forced to to fight to kill as a 10 year old kid of course I'm thinking about my my boy my kids, just unfathomable. And I'm listening to him and he's clearly just living in the wake of a PTSD. My man is just, you know, telling me about these dreams that he has. And, and he's a refugee. He showed me his paperwork the first time we met. I think he, he probably gets quite a bit of rejection. So he needed to, to prove to me that he was legit. And sure enough, he was a Somalian refugee. And he'd kind of been like transferred around nation to nation, finally made his way to the U.S. Um, The first, when he finally escaped Somalia as a refugee, he went to Kenya. He told me his whole story. And he was living on, basically sleeping on the the street, laying in a gutter behind some family's house. And the father, the owner of the house, came out one day and uh, woke him up. And uh, I guess he was like 10 or 11 or something. He says, well, what are you doing here? Where's your family? I don't have a family. They're all dead. So the man took him in, made this little boy, Idril, a part of his family. It just so happens that these Kenyans were Christians. And that was the beginning of his, uh, his journey, converting from Islam to being a follower of Jesus. So he's telling me his story telling me like just the nightmare that he lived and continues to relive in his dreams and and then he finally says, but Jesus watches over me but I am blessed and you could see his eyes light up like he meant it but I am blessed. Jesus provides for me. Jesus has given me hope. Jesus has saved me. Jesus has brought me to America. Jesus has filled my heart with. With everything I need, I'm thinking like, wait, "Wait, what was I complaining about this morning?" Jesus overcomes the darkness. This is what He does. Jesus overcomes the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Remember that scene. Lord of the Rings, or if you're a proper Tolkien buff, do you remember that one chapter in the second book entitled Through or Journey in the Dark? It's that famous scene where Gandalf is passing through the mines of Moria and just before they leave the mountain, he stop, stops on the precipice to face the Balrog, that demon lurking in the shadows. And he stands on that stone bridge And he says, You cannot pass. It's epic. You got to read the book. I was forced to read it in order to date my wife. (laughs) You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you. Flame of Udon. Go back to the shadow. You cannot pass. And it's a picture of Jesus confronting the darkness. And the demon falls. And of course, if you've seen the movie or read the book, you'll recall that Gandalf went down with him. Just as the demon falls into the abyss, he whips his fiery whip one last time and he grabs Gandalf by the ankle and pulls him down. And if you know anything about Tolkien, you cannot deny the the analogy. This is Jesus who died for the sake of the party, the fellowship, And he descends into the darkness with his defeated foe, only to rise again as Gandalf the White with his glorified body. This is Jesus confronting sin, confronting evil, confronting the enemy of God in the darkness. Jesus is Lord over the darkness. And what are the implications of that? We're told in Colossians 1.13 that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And we're reminded in Ephesians 6:12 that though there is a fight, though the shadow lingers on, our fight is not against flesh and blood. people Our fight is against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the darkness that lingers against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is why we pray, Father in heaven, deliver us from evil. I'm a terrible driver. Lord Jesus, take the wheel. Save us from this darkness. Save me from myself. I need more than just 21 precepts to live by. I need a God who confronts the enemy for me. I need a God who can change my heart, a God who has overcome the darkness so that when I'm faced with it in this world, I don't have to cower in hopelessness. I don't have to give in to fear. I don't have to believe lies. I can take my stand and say, you cannot pass. Your dark flame will not avail. You have been slain. You have been overcome. and The darkness will not overcome the light ever again. We can take our stand as we sung. And a couple of things happen. What does it mean to declare Jesus is Lord over the darkness in my life? When I'm confronted with with feelings of despair, when it feels hopeless, when things aren't going right, when relationships are breaking down and everything's falling apart and it feels like this, this is perhaps what Jesus meant when he said... You will have trouble in this world. Though I've defeated the enemy, though I've overcome darkness, there is still this that my kingdom is in the process of coming in. As John talked about last week so well. In that moment, we're able to take our stand and declare now Jesus is Lord over the darkness. I do have hope, and it's not just a wish, fingers crossed. It is the hope of resurrection, life, because he did come back, because he did defeat death. And so my hope is substantial. I'm able to take my stand, you and I. And when we do, Jesus does a couple of things. Number one, Jesus illuminates the darkness. Jesus shines in the darkness. He's not only overcome the darkness, but he illuminates the darkness around us. The Gospel of Luke puts it this way in his first chapter, because of the tender mercy of our God, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And as the psalmist put it in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus begins to lead us through the shadowy valleys. Jesus illuminates the darkness around us so that we're not just like aimlessly wandering about hoping things get better. No, he leads us on the path. God gives us precepts. He gives us truth and grace. He gives us his word and his spirit that we might follow him through the shadow of death and into new life. This is what I love about the booklets. The precepts are fantastic, but unless our king has actually overcome death, all I'm trying to do is just drive a little bit better. And let me tell you something, you may become the best driver out there, but there's still a few bad ones left. And so Jesus overcomes the darkness and then begins to guide us. And this is why we meditate on scripture. Jesus begins to illuminate the darkness around us. He gives us precepts. He guides us into all truth. We don't have to make up morality. We don't have to pick and choose our ethics. Jesus tells us what what is the way that leads to life. This is how to live. This is abundant life. When you submit your will to mine. This is why we meditate on scripture and this is why we pray. Let me... um, us for a short commercial break. Oh, by the way, did you guys see the. Uh, can we do the next slide, please? This is my favorite. That's Jesus confronting the darkness. I love that pick. So, as we've been praying, several of you in here, uh, myself and some of our, our leaders, Uh, We've been asking God, how do we respond to uh, the the, the current COVID challenge, Uh, the freeze? I love how they call it the freeze. It's not the lockdown, it's the freeze now. It's like, really? We know what it is. Anyway, don't get me started. How do we respond to the current challenge? Um, Naturally, every church um, and and, and community and person needs to respond um, according to their conscience. Uh, some people, they're like, look, I, I don't feel comfortable or safe, or I just don't feel like it's appropriate to, to come out and gather. And that's perfectly fine. That's, I, I have nothing but respect um, for my brothers and sisters or anyone who, who's going to make that choice. We all have to make that choice. But as far as, as a community of brothers and sisters go, we prayed and we felt, you know what? I don't think this is the time to, to shrink back, or to slow down, or to withdraw. I think Jesus is saying, Yes, yeah, submit to the governing authorities. Do that because that's a part of your witness as you, as you live in this society. But within that, lean in. Listen. Trust. I want to I share some things with you. 2020 may almost be over, but I'm not done. And I thought as a church community, how amazing would it be if, if we finished Strong if we finished in prayer, if we finished like with, with faith. And so as we talked about that, like what does that mean? How do we practically do that with the current restrictions? And we thought, look, let's let's pray. Let's begin to gather in small groups and pray like we've never prayed before. Let's finish this year in faith. And so we're gonna do a couple of things. This is kind of my little, my little plug. Um, you may have already gotten the e-weekly or, or seen it on the website. But in addition to Tuesday evening worship, In addition to Tuesday morning prayer, we're continuing to pray every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Some of you are there for that every week. Um, We're going to keep doing that. But we also want for the next four weeks to encourage everyone in our church to find a prayer partner. Either another household or another individual. Pick a day and time where you can come together once a week for the next four weeks to pray. And commit to it. Like, like think through it practically. Okay, what day, what time are we going to come together in in someone's house? Uh, The current guideline is we can gather in homes up to one additional household, maximum of six people. For most of us, that's that's perfectly fine. That's not a problem. We can actually gather in someone's home. You can come here if you'd like. This building's open virtually every day, 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. Uh, Shirley and Megan together a fantastic prayer room you guys got to check it out before you leave if you can uh just underneath the bell tower so if you go up through the balcony up in that room the door is open right now which is where all the heat is going no would you mind shutting that door please thank you um it's like a chimney it just goes right up there there's a fantastic prayer room up there and they've sort of like put stuff all over the walls so you can go in there it's super interactive you can show up anytime, any day of the week. Let yourself in and go upstairs and spend some time praying. Maybe you want to get a prayer partner and make that like your rendezvous spot. And uh, that's what we're going to do for the next four weeks. Think about who you can pray with. Contact them. Or if you need help with something, you're like, look, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know who I could contact. Um, maybe there's someone like me who's looking for someone. We have a little form on our website. In fact, I would love everyone to fill out the form. If you go to the website, if you could go on the events page. It's pretty easy to find. There's a little link there. And you can sign up and say, yeah, I'm going to be praying. This is my person. That way, as a church, we can have some sort of a sense, like, are we actually doing this? Like, are people into this? Are we praying? And so we can kind of get our finger on the pulse. Or if you need to be connected with someone, there's, a, there's an option for that on the form as well. So there it is. That's 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 something that we're going to do instead of just kind of like, well, I guess we'll just sort of take the rest of the year off. Um, we're gonna lean in and we're gonna seek God's face and finish in faith. God illuminates the darkness. Jesus exposes the darkness. This is the other thing that Jesus does. When we consider what it means that Jesus overcame the darkness. He defeated the enemy. He dethroned that cosmic power. And so now we can stand knowing that our king has achieved victory for us. Hope is real. He illuminates the darkness around us. We're not simply wandering around aimlessly hoping we get it right. No, he's given us his word. But Jesus also exposes the darkness inside of us. If you think of it as he illuminates the darkness out there, Jesus also exposed the, exposes the darkness in here. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, "...for God who said, let light shine out of darkness..." has now shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The same God who said let light shine in the darkness and there was light has also shown in our hearts to expose the darkness within. I think we all know what that means. To declare Jesus is Lord over the darkness is a declaration that begins in our own hearts always. Before anyone else, Jesus' victory over the darkness begins with me. It's not just those people. It's not just those bad drivers. You ever been on the road convinced in your heart that no one knows how to drive? Of course, I'm, I, I know how to drive. I'm a fantastic driver. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself in that place of self-loathing and pity and cynicism thinking, man, if it's, it's just their fault. It's that government's fault. It's that leader's fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's that gender's fault. It's, it's someone else's fault. It's everyone else's fault except mine. And we know that's not true sometimes we need to be reminded. And the Holy Spirit does a really, really good job of that. And it's not to condemn. It's not to leave us small and crouched over, crippled under the weight of our own shame. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The enemy tries to do that. The Holy Spirit exposes the darkness within us, our sin, our prejudice, our self-righteousness, our pride, all of these things that That like to hide in the shadows within our own hearts, the Holy Spirit begins to expose and shines the light on those places and says, That's not who you are. The liar wants to exploit these feelings, these events, moments in the past and say, That's who you are, you sicko, you dirty person. You will never, ever, ever stop living like that. And the enemy tries to work that angle and keep us low and small, and the Holy Spirit comes along and exposes the lie, exposes that darkness inside of us and says, that's not who you are. Stand up. Be upright in Jesus Christ. He has set you free, so live like it. And then we have a choice. Last night we had a bonfire. Some of you were there. It was fantastic. We were out at the Walker's house. Built a big bonfire in their backyard. We'll do it again if you missed it. And we all came with our confessions, our stuff we wrote down. Took a look inside and said, man, there's there's some darks in there. We Put it on paper. We read it out loud. And after we read it, we threw it in the fire. You know what happened? Every time we threw that confession in the fire fire got a little bigger there was a moment of like light it's like you know what you know what happens you throw fire right and it's like and it was beautiful and God spoke to me he said that's what happens when the children of God began to make their confession and we say yeah you're right there is something inside of me that doesn't belong there is there is healing that needs to be done and I'm going to call it what it is I'm going to confess it. I'm going to forsake it. I'm going to throw it into the fire because my God is a consuming fire. And I'm going to let him refine it. And I'm going to let him do what only he can do. And every time I do that, every time I humble myself, every time I get vulnerable, it's like a little more light radiates from the fire. And that's what it means to be the family of God, to be the children of light. We don't cover up. We don't hide, we don't need to pretend because we're safe, we're secure, we know who we are, we know we're loved, we know where home is, we know who Father is, and we know He loves us. And so when the Holy Spirit begins to expose the darkness within, we don't have to pretend like it's not there. We can get it out and we can put it in the fire and watch the fire of God's love begin to burn even brighter. And that's what Jesus meant when He called us the light. He said, you are the light of the world. What an incredible proclamation. Us sinners, the light of the world. Jesus has overcome the darkness. Shall we worship? Can we stand? Lord Jesus, thank you. You are our great, mighty king. our God who entered in to our world, even into the darkness. We might be the light, but only insofar as you are shining through us. And we thank you that you are the light that the darkness cannot overcome. Help us, Lord Jesus, in these interesting times, to be your people who are 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 living and loving and trusting you in the wake of your victory on the cross. You have overcome the darkness. You are Lord over the darkness. And it's not just a movie. It's not just some fantasy. Well, this is the great reality that we live by. Help us to trust you in new ways. Particularly as we finish the year. as we we look back and consider all of the good things that you have planned for us moving forward, Lord Jesus, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, that we wouldn't be overwhelmed by the darkness around us, but that we would be conduits of your light shining bright in the shadowy places of life. Thank you for your promise that as you walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death, we needn't fear, evil because you are with us we love you